0: They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment, because the Eagle has landed, at the premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday's episode of The Sports Desk. It is our second last week of this season. Um, we are, of course, April, Tom and Kendra. So we will be finishing up for season three on sin next week. But how are you guys today?
1: Yeah, pretty good. Uh, again, disappointed. Carlton haven't had a win in a couple of weeks. So not feeling the best. Kendra, how are we?
2: Yeah, good. I was... Getting very excited with the Tour de France. It was, um, yeah, also it was good to watch the football,
0: but yeah, mainly been watching the Tour de France. How are you, April? I'm good. I've been watching a bit of the Tour de France as well. It's all heating up there, so we'll get to that later in the show, um, as well as a bit of horse racing, some swimming, some tennis. Um, But we're going to start off with the AFL. As usual, um, my team, the Bombers, had quite the loss This week so um, my hopes of us making the final that I was clinging on to last week are are pretty much gone.
1: Yeah I think if the Giants win um, tonight as we're recording this on Tuesday they are eliminated from finals for the year so I guess you're hoping the Giants lose I'm kind of hoping the Giants lose as well because then Carlton can still potentially make finals but if they do end up winning then Essendon are knocked out of finals.
0: It'd be a miracle if Adelaide start winning
1: two in a row now they got their first win last week against Hawthorne geez they're in shambles aren't they wow well
0: we'll go through the results so far from round 16 we are of course just partway through the round um, as we're recording the show but we had Port Adelaide get up 78 to 42 over North Melbourne St Kilda beat Hawthorne 80 to 66 as Hawthorne secure their position down the bottom of the ladder um, as I said, Essendon lost to Geelong 108-42. to uh, The Bulldogs got up over West Coast in a close one there 49-47. to um, Then we had Fremantle get up over Melbourne 47-33. Then we've got GWS playing Adelaide tonight as well as Carlton and Sydney. And then on Wednesday night, we've got the Brisbane Gold Coast match to round out the week.
1: Yeah, a couple of exciting matches to end. A couple of teams still in finals contention. I know the ladder's looking very close for that final top eight spot. A very nice win from Richmond last week. I know you would have seen that, Kendra. Um, Propelling you guys into the top four. What are your thoughts on finishing in the top four? Do you reckon you can make it?
2: Yes, I think they're going to make the top four. They're looking very nice at the moment. They're definitely really accurate with their goal kicking especially. So, yeah, I think they're going to go all the way. I reckon they're going to look, I'm going to go as far as Sarek and they're going to defend their last year's Premier.
1: Wow, big big, big calls there. Yep. Um, looking at the top eight as well, I feel like there are, there are really only two teams that are, or maybe even one team that are looking like the, the only dominant team so far, and that's Geelong. You know, they're the only team that's been having big wins recently. They're the only team that are looking complete at the moment. You know, Richmond on the field have been awesome, but they, you know, having some problems on the field that we'll probably touch on in a sec. But, you know... They're the only two teams so far that have been the most consistent throughout the year. So we look out for them coming finals, I guess.
2: Yeah, see, I have hope from last match or no, the last two matches when Geelong almost lost to the Bulldogs. And I think that that is their only sort of little Achilles heel in the season. So I'm hoping that Richmond can pull it out in these last few matches and yeah, like beat Geelong.
1: And yes, speaking of Richmond, I guess the biggest news to come out of the week... Was Sydney Stack and Coleman Jones, I believe it was, were caught in a brawl outside of a gentleman's club, outside of a kebab shop, um, breaking COVID protocols. And they have been fined. And I believe they've been sent home as well, banned for 10 weeks, 10 week suspension. Kendra, how do you feel as a Richmond supporter seeing your young players, especially going out like this? You know, everyone else in Victoria locked up at home and they're going out breaking protocols.
2: This is really hard, like, coming from the Richmond team. I mean, I would have liked it to have happened to any other team except Richmond, but no, I reckon this was really disappointing from the young players. Like, they are so privileged at the moment to be up on the Gold Coast playing AFL and for them to do that. Also, I can understand from, like, the VFL women's side, a lot of them were quite upset with the fact that they've been fined $100,000 and that could have been used to, like, fund the – VFL competition so I guess like I can see why they are upset with how Richmond can you know obviously pay these massive fines but they you know are cutting budget costs across like the women's side and also for people who are having job cuts from the AFL as it is and yeah they have this amount of money I don't know do you guys reckon the players should pay this fine or the club
0: I definitely think the players should I mean so obviously this was um, Richmond's as a club's second COVID breach the fine went to the club not the players and because of um, a players association deal the club can't make the players pay the fine unless the players volunteer to which they haven't done Um, but I definitely think the players should pay it it's completely their mistake and You know, $100,000 is a lot of money and for that to come out of the club is going to impact a lot more people and for those players to really be largely unaffected except for missing a few games doesn't really seem like a fair penalty.
1: Exactly. And then when you have, you know, the first round of um, COVID breaches where family members going out and, you know, no one really sort of knew the rules really like they knew you you weren't allowed to but there wasn't like a definitive answer for everything that they were doing the afl has since come out said you can't do this can't do this and the players know you know that like the players know what they're not allowed to do you're not allowed to leave your hub you have to stay in your hub stay as a team you can't just go out to a nightclub get drunk and then start a brawl outside a kebab shop like that's just not allowed this wouldn't be allowed normally almost it's not even
0: um just in covid times like this behavior would never really be accepted by a
1: club yeah, exactly. So going on the fine, like those first round of fines, like I understand the club, like the players probably should have paid the first rounds of fines, but the club doing it is okay. Cause it's the first round. It's not, it's not entirely, you know, it's not hundred thousand dollars. Like this one is. Um, and the, like the family members, they weren't sure of the COVID rules this time around, these players knew what was going on. They purposefully broke the COVID protocols to go out and do what they wanted got caught and I think they should be paying the fines for it because it was their own fault and they knew what they were doing.
2: Yeah, 100%. And it's also, it's such a shame that it's Sydney Stackman as well. Like, I know he's definitely done the wrong thing, but he's such a talent and I definitely think Richmond really needed him in, especially for these last few rounds. But sending him home was definitely the right call because, you know, you've got to make sure that those who are breaking the rules aren't getting special treatment.
1: Yeah, exactly. You have to send them back to Victoria. And now they have to be the same rules as we are. They have to be inside their house. You know, there's going to be a curfew. They're only allowed out one hour a day, two hours in a couple of weeks. So, you know, it was the right decision to send them home because if they, if they left them in these hubs, then there's essentially no... then They're not giving them any punishment, really. They're not paying the fine. They've got a 10-week ban, but they're still in these hubs with everybody in the Gold Coast. So sending them back home was the right decision. You don't want these players continually being in a hub not playing footy and then potentially going out again because they have no nothing else to do
0: well talking about players going home we're going to move over to Essendon now and Conor McKenna has chosen to retire from the AFL and he's heading home to Ireland he is just 24 years old um, has been one of our best players what do you guys think about this
1: It's very unfortunate for McKenna, because as you were saying, he is, you know, he could have been a future star of the club and of the AFL. He had all the potential there as a young player, only 24, so much more time to develop. So it is unfortunate that he has gone home. Um, As an Essendon supporter, I guess, how do you feel about it?
0: I think it's sort of been um, something we've foreseen coming, um, especially this year. He went home to Ireland um, at like the start of the year, came back, um, had the coronavirus positive test that was um, pretty widely publicized and I really just think um, there's sort of just been a sense the entire year that perhaps he didn't really want to be here and um, you know talked about homesickness and stuff with him and things like that so I think it's it's not really a surprise to see this come out. Um, It will be interesting to see whether at any point he does try to come back.
1: Yeah I guess being from a different country as well kind of doesn't help all the Victorians over in Queensland. You know, it's not that far away from their family. They can come home. They, It's not that much of a time difference, but all the way from Ireland, being away from your whole family in this time as well, you definitely understand why he's deciding to go home.
0: And just before we wrap up our AFL chat today, the AFLPA has announced the players who are in the 22 under 22 squad. So I think they've got 40 players named at the moment and then there's going to be a vote to decide the best under 22 players but probably the one main thing to take out of it is that matt rowell has been left out of the squad what do you guys think of this decision
1: it's very interesting for matt rowell to be left out um I understand why. He's only played four games for the year, so he probably doesn't deserve to be in there. But on the other hand, he was best on ground for all four of those games. So he's probably going to get more brown low votes than anyone else in that team by only playing four games. But, you know, if he had played half the season, three quarters of the season, he probably could have made it. But only playing for, you know, the first three or four matches, I understand why they've left him out.
2: Yeah, it is like a shame for him because he was such a really good player when he first came on. But yeah, they've got to leave him out if he has missed so many of those matches. A lot of people are saying that maybe he should be in the squad just because he has been analysing the game from the bench and helping the club in that regard. But yeah, he hasn't been playing. So it is unfortunate. But yeah, I think that that was a fair call from the
0: AFLPA. The other news out of it is that two clubs have no players in it. One is Adelaide, which is not particularly surprising. The other is Melbourne haven't had a single um, young player named in the squad.
1: It's very interesting from Melbourne there. They're a team you think they're going to try and make finals this year, potentially next year. It'd be nice to have those youngsters coming through, but it doesn't look like a bright future for them, I guess. And Adelaide, a a completely different story. They're playing all their youngsters this year. You would expect a handful of them to make it next year and in the years coming. So that's exciting to look out for too.
2: Sin, where young people run the show. All right, now to some tennis news. The US Open has been underway. Tom, do you want to take us through the US Open tennis results?
1: Yes, lovely. So we have, the, we're up to the quarterfinals now on both the women's side of the draw and the men's side of the draw. So on the men's, we have Koric and Zverev, Kareno Busta and Shapovalov, Rublev versus Medvedev and Alex the Demon versus Dominic Thiem. So a very tough matchup there for Alex. Um, unfortunately, Jordan Thompson made it all the way to the round of 16, but losing to Koric in three sets. So at least we do have an Aussie there into the quarterfinals, which is awesome for Alex. I don't know. Actually, I think this might be the furthest he's gone in a Grand Slam. So, really well done there for him. And very tough matchup against probably the favorite now that Djokovic has been kicked out. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but first on the women's side of the draw, we have the American Brady versus Putintseva. You have Naomi Osaka versus Rogers, unseated as well. Rogers there. So, very well done for her to get through. Victoria Azarenka making it to the quarterfinals again. She's had a couple of bad years there, so finally making it back up into the final stages. She's versus Mertens. And the favourite, Serena Williams, is up against unseeded Perinkova. So you would would expect her to make it through to that. But it's also a very Williams game to drop that one to a nobody. So hopefully that happens on our end. Um, But she's definitely in line now to take out that side of the draw. And yes, very big news out of the US Open with Djokovic being defaulted after hitting a lineswoman with the ball in the throat. Essentially, what he did is he was frustrated with the point, grabbed the ball out of his pocket and swung it behind him out of frustration. And it unfortunately did hit the lineswoman in the throat. And as the rules say, if you do hit a ball kid, a linesperson, person, anybody like that in like in the body without looking out of frustration you are automatically defaulted. Unfortunately, Djokovic was a bit unlucky with where the ball went and where the ball hit, but, you know, rules are rules and he should have been defaulted as well. So, you know, a bit unlucky there, but it should have happened.
0: I thought I thought he was pretty unlucky with this one. Um, I mean, just watching it, Djokovic is quite well known, even though people don't really talk about it that much, but he's quite known for having, like, angry outbursts on the court. But I didn't think he looked particularly annoyed at this. He was sort of just hitting the ball back like they normally would to a ball kid. Um, And it happened to hit the line judge in the throat. Um, I I definitely don't think he intended this to happen. Um, But at the same time, it is the rule. And there's been a lot of um, players and ex-players come out, I think, and say, you know, everyone knows that this is the rule. Whether you mean it or not, you know you're getting defaulted if you hit the ball out of play into an official.
2: Yeah, when I saw it, I thought that I didn't think he was doing it out of anger. It didn't look like he was. But then again, it did have the force to actually get the leg in the throat and stop her from being able to breathe properly. So he must have had some enough anger to hit that sort of force. So I definitely, he definitely needed to be defaulted and yeah, forfeit the match.
1: Yeah, and it's not like it's never happened before. I've been working at the Australian Open for almost 10 years now, and I've actually seen it happen a couple of times where players are defaulted for hitting a ball kid or a linesman with the ball out of, you know, they're not meaning to do it. It's not that much frustration, but they do it and they have been defaulted before. So So it's nothing new to the sport. It has happened. It's just this is the first time it's happened for someone so popular and so dominant in the sport like Djokovic. So unfortunate for him, but it was the correct call.
0: I think it's also a bad time for it to have happened we talked about Djokovic on last week's show about um, his new players association getting criticism and criticism over his sort of actions and beliefs around coronavirus um so I think this, on top of all of that is just sort of making everyone pile on top of him and I think I think the other issues are very reasonable um I don't necessarily think this was like reflects that badly on him but I think combining everything all together, it's not a good time for Djokovic at the moment.
1: No, it was very funny when Curios came out and tweeted that if he was the one that had done that, everyone would have been asking him to be banned for five years, 10 years, 20 years, put up a poll for it. So that was very funny. And it's true though, you know, if if someone like Curios had have done it, the media would have been all over him asking him to be suspended. So it's a very uh, funny contrast there when you think about it.
2: All right, some more news from tennis. Ash Barty has pulled out of the French Open for two reasons. The first one being the risk of COVID still and also her preparation, which she says has not been ideal. What are you, what are you guys' thoughts on Ash Barty pulling out of, firstly, the obviously she pulled out of, pulled out of the US Open and now the French Open?
1: Uh, it's definitely a bit of a surprise, but the way she's explained it, it makes sense, you know there still is the risk of COVID out there. Um, you know, the Tour de France is still going on at the moment, but as we've seen, we'll, I think we're going to touch on that later, the crowds have been um, very close to each other and all around. And for the second reason as well, in Australia, you know, we have our borders closed to each state, so no one can travel to and fro. So her ideal probably, her sorry, her training isn't ideal for her. And, you know, going into it, she's probably very disheartened that she can't train properly she can't be with her coaches she's got no strategy and it is very not ideal for her at the moment so it does make sense and we might see that um in the coming weeks as well more and more people pulling out of the French Open too
0: yeah well Ash Barney was um she would have been defending her French Open title from last year and she says in a statement that it's been a difficult decision for her which makes total sense but I think in some ways, while she would have really wanted to go back and defend that title, if she knew she wasn't at the right level to um, really give it a good crack at defending the title, I can see how it probably, um, that would have made the decision a bit easier. She would have thought it's not quite worth it, um, not worth risking her health if she doesn't think she's at the level where she could win it again.
2: Yeah, definitely. And she said in this article here that she is looking forward to a long pre-season and summer in Australia so maybe she's really hoping to focus on the potential if the Australian Open does go ahead in Australia
1: I know they're planning on keeping with the dates at the Oz Open they're so so far they're planning to go ahead with it so it would be awesome to see Ash Barty back at the Oz Open and you know what it'd be a perfect opportunity for her to win it she's had a huge off season now she gets back into training I reckon she's uh she seems in for a great Australian Open
0: yeah, I agree. It'll definitely be really exciting if we can see her back in full swing by then.
1: Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days.
2: All right, now for some quick swimming news. The Australian Dolphins have returned to racing after not being able to race and having a very long hibernation from the pool. So the Dolphins took racing on at Perth and the Gold Coast where 800 swimmers traveled and competed against each other. And there were a lot of good times posted from this competition and there was quite a few new talented swimmers who were racing in with the australian dolphins which included michael shaw who trains in w- on the west coast of australia who is 19 years old we also had adam sudlow who was a 17 year old who joined the team as well as joshua edwards
0: it's good to see them posting such good times and it, it reminds me of the um the athletics meets which have started coming back and we talked about on some of the previous shows some of the athletes um, and the runners coming back and setting record times. And we're seeing the same with the swimmers as well. And I just think it's fantastic that people, despite all the disruptions of this year and the changes in their schedules and their goals with the Olympics moving and stuff, that um, all the athletes are still recording these great times.
2: Yeah, especially when they haven't been able to do proper training within the pool. They've had to focus on a lot of dry land training. And now that they can, you know, with, such, with only just hop, um, being allowed back in the water, they can actually swim close to their best and also do PB. So I think that's pretty
0: fascinating.
1: The Tour de France, April, Kendra. I know you guys have been keeping up to date with this. What's the update so far?
0: We sure have. Um, so, we are recording the show on Tuesday, so it's after the Monday night rest day. So, we've had the first nine stages, and currently Primoz Roglic, a Slovenian rider, is in the yellow jersey. Last year's winner, Egan Bernal, is 21 seconds behind. Then there is Guillaume Martin, Roman Bardet, Nairo Quintana. And Rigoberto Uran are the top six. Then we've got Richie Porte, the Australian chance, is down in 11th. Um, but overall, this is quite a good result because he actually lost a bit of time on one of the earlier stages. So he's slowly starting to claw that back.
2: Yeah, Richie Port's had, for the last two years, he's had such a unfortunate ride in the Tour de France he's always involved in a lot of crashes so I think this is really good and he also said that this is the healthiest he's ever been going into a rest day so I think that is really promising that he has been able to stay healthy and injury free at this point in the race I reckon we can definitely see him sneak maybe a few places up and maybe even fingers crossed he might get up there with a chance I don't know.
0: Yeah well the last two years he's crashed out on stage nine Um, And so this year he's finally, he's made it through stage nine. Um, So hopefully it's only upwards and onwards from here. But um, we have had a few notable riders um, sort of drop pretty far down the rankings and really have no chance of um, winning anymore. Kendra, did you want to talk a bit more about this? Yeah, I was, I thought when Julian
2: Alaphilippe, he was, um, he lost his yellow jersey and he said that even though he did lose it and he's like, Quite, he's gone quite down the rankings now. He said that this was a good thing. I don't know why it would be a good thing because I feel like the tour is like the peak of cycling, but he said that he's focusing on just stage wins. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I remember I did read an interview from him um, from before the tour started, and he was talking about how he didn't really see himself as a contender for the overall win and that he does find the individual stage wins more appealing. And I guess now that he's probably sort of lost the yellow jersey, dropped down the rankings a bit, he has a bit more freedom to go out and get those stage wins without everyone thinking he's trying to win the whole race overall. They don't see him as as much of a threat. Yeah and we do have Peter Sagan who's in the green
2: jersey. He's a very good sprinter and he's also the three-time world champion but do you reckon Caleb Ewan's maybe a chance for green? He did win that stage with a really good sprint.
0: Yeah, well, at the moment, Sagan's on 138 points and Caleb Ewan is down in eighth on 75 points. Um, so he's got a bit of a way to make up. I think, uh, you know, we've seen Sagan take out the green jersey so many years. So I think there's a pretty good chance he'll do it again. But I definitely at least hope we see Caleb Ewan get a few more stage wins. Yes, definitely. Also, watching the tour at the moment... What
2: are your thoughts on the fans? They are definitely not social distancing. They are getting so close to the riders and each other. What were your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, particularly on the last few mountain top stages, um, we just saw the fans like like a normal tour, you know, packing around the riders, riders almost needing to push people out of the way. But of course, they're not wanting to touch people or be that close to anyone. Um, I think you could sort of tell that a few of the cyclists were getting quite irritated about it and trying to like wave people to tell them to give them some space Um, I think it's it's quite nerve-wracking and um, with the rest day all the teams have been COVID tested and they've got a rule in place that if any team has two positive results within their their staff or the cyclists they have to withdraw from the race so I think they'll all be taking it pretty seriously and nobody would want to catch it from a fan um what do you, what do you guys think do you think there's anything that could be done to stop the fans from getting so close
1: It's so hard because they're going around the whole country riding it's so hard to put a barrier everywhere along every road that they go that they go past I know I've been noticing when they're getting to like the top of the mountains they do have those barriers to separate um the fans and the riders but that's only when you're a couple of kilometers to to the top of the mountain so it's so hard to control that and as you were saying the fans are getting so close running alongside some of the riders trying to take photos of them in front of them it's it's you know you sh- it shouldn't be happening um you either have to ban them completely or put in protocols but it's so hard to monitor that because there's it's such a long distance and there's so much that they're covering you, you can't control every person that comes out of their front yard as say and watches the the riders go past so It's it's just hard to control, and I don't think they can do much about it.
2: Yeah, it is really hard, I think, for the fans as well, because the Tour de France is known for being, especially when they're getting into those mountain stages, the fans come really close, they like to run with the cyclists, but I think, especially this year, we've got coronavirus, they just need to put aside their passion and just take a step back from it, because they are way too close, and it's... you know, as we know, like running with coronavirus expels it and they're yelling at cyclists. So I can imagine that transmission for this would be huge. And I think it's, yeah, a little bit disrespectful to the riders who are risking their health to take part in this race.
0: Kendra, do you have a prediction for who you think is going to win overall? I think it could be,
2: honestly, anyone's race within the top three. They're so close to each other with time. I don't think that I can really predict one winner. They're very close at the moment. so. I'm going to say that, yeah, my money's just on any of the top three. So that's Primoz Roglic, Egan Bernal or Julian Martin. I think that Julian Martin might actually be a chance the winner. He's in his home country. He's got the support of the crowd. So maybe he's going to pull it through. What about you? Who's your prediction?
0: I reckon I'm going to go with Bernal. He was last year's winner and he's right up there again. Um, I haven't really noticed him, you know, looking particularly weak at any points so far. Um, I think he's definitely a huge chance. Obviously, Ineos Grenadier, um, which used to be Sky Team, um, have just produced winner after winner of the tour. So I think he's a big chance. Um, we do have Pogachar, who won the stage nine which was the last stage um before we recorded this show he's 44 seconds behind um I think if he keeps sneaking away and getting some stage wins and things like that he could be he could make up some time and of course I do hope that Richie Port can make up some time too though I'm I'm not overly optimistic on him really getting up there but hopefully he can hold that position or even sneak into the top 10.
2: Yeah I think Honestly, I think it's going to be very unlikely that Richie Port does, well, get in the top three, but I definitely think he could get into fit the way he's riding. And also, as we said before, the fact that he hasn't got injured, that's rare for Richie Port. So, fingers crossed.
0: On FM, on DAB, and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin, where young people run the show into some horse racing news now and Racing Victoria has come out earlier this week and said they are going to be pushing for the gradual banning of the whip. Um, So what this is going to look like is that first of all they're going to attempt to reduce the rules around the number of times that a jockey can use the whip during a race. Um, At the moment there are parts of the race where there are restrictions on how many times they can use it and parts of the race where it's unlimited so they want to Um, sort of scrap that and make it just a set rule for the entire race. Um, And, you know, for example, like a jockey can only use their whip seven or eight times on the horse for the entire race. Um, This is sort of in line with what a lot of racing jurisdictions around the world are moving to. Um, So I personally think um, that's a really good move. And I think it's pretty likely that that will happen. Um, And then but a step beyond that racing Victoria are looking to eventually completely ban the use of the whip and jockeys will only be allowed to carry a whip as a safety measure. What do you guys think of this? I know you're not um, necessarily massive horse racing fans. So I'm really interested to hear what your perspective is on this.
1: I think it's um, good for the sport. And I know that I was, as I was reading the article, they're saying they're doing this to hopefully bring in more fans in the future and younger fans in the future. So you know, they're looking towards the future, and I think it is the right option to go for. It is very interesting to hear that they're planning on completely getting rid of the use of the whip as well. Um, you know, I, I may have expected them to say that down the line in a couple of years when they've reduced it further and further and further, but for them to come out now and say they're planning to get rid of it completely is a really nice sign. So it is nice to see. Um, I'd love to know what the jockeys' um, thoughts and opinions are on this as well. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see their thoughts and take on it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that it is a really good thing to reduce the whip um, Yeah, and ban it all together. But yeah, it's interesting. I didn't realise, I mean, from an outside perspective that it was actually used for a safe thing, but now it makes sense if the horse is out of control. But April, you're very interested in horse racing. What are your thoughts on maybe the jockey's thoughts on banning the whip? I can understand that maybe some of them wouldn't be too happy with this rule.
0: Yeah, I think um, so far I haven't seen... Uh, too much really about the jockey's thoughts on it but I did see um, one article written today that more so said that um, Racing Victoria haven't really consulted with the jockeys at all before coming out and um, making this announcement so um, I think it just sort of needs a bit more communication from an outsider perspective um, I just I just can't see why this is a bad thing I think Um, I've seen a lot of people like on Twitter and stuff, there's been like quite a bit of backlash from sort of just racing fans um, saying that they don't like that the sport is sort of conceding, I guess, to the outside community who isn't involved in the sport. But obviously using the whip is a bad look. And um, Racing Victoria have said in their announcement, they said the ongoing use is becoming less compatible with community expectations each year. And I think really that's so obviously true. And for racing to survive long term, I think this is something that they have to do. And jockeys are just going to have to get used to it and adapt their riding style. And I think at the end of the day, as long as they're allowed to carry it for a safety measure, I think that's the only real essential reason that a jockey needs to have a whip.
1: And do you think that the other states are going to be um, following Racing Victoria as well, April? Or is it just us that are going to go through with this?
0: I think it's a tricky one. Um... Racing Victoria so far have indicated that if the other states aren't happy to join them, they're happy to go alone with this. Um, But it would obviously be a lot more effective if it is a countrywide rule. Um, But, you know, we sort of see there's a lot of fighting sort of between Racing Victoria and Racing New South Wales. They're constantly competing over the dates that their races are scheduled and things like that. And I sort of see that this is going to be a similar issue. I don't think um, Victoria and New South Wales, particularly um, get along very well in terms of making big decisions like this. but I hope um I, I hope all the states can come together and make a national rule. Now to super netball, which we just wrapped up, round ten, we had
2: Melbourne vixens versus West Coast fever, which actually drew sixty three all. Then we had, the New South Wales Swifts versus the Queensland Fireballs where the Fireballs won 77 to 64. We had Giants Netball versus Sunshine Coast Lightning where the Lightning won 67 to 65. It was a close match. And then last one we had Adelaide Thunderbirds versus Collingwood Magpies where the Thunderbirds won
0: 60
1: to 49. Oh no, what a shame. Ah, so sad for the (laughs) Magpies.
0: Yes, it is another loss for the Magpies. there. solidly in eighth position with just one win and nine losses. Um, and it's really, it's a pretty bad record. They've only got four points. Um, seventh on the ladder and, oh, sixth and seventh on the ladder both have three wins, one draw and six losses. So even between seventh and eighth, there's a big gap. So I think that just sort of um, emphasises what a bad season the magpies are having but luckily it's a completely opposite result for the other melbourne team the vixens who are still sitting on top of the ladder they're on 34 points so clearly on top um above the new south wales swifts who are on 28 points um so and they actually play each other i believe tonight um or in the next round while we are recording um so it'll be interesting to see that match but the vixens going really well this season
1: now moving into just a quick NBA update here for everybody. On Monday, we had the Bucks versus the Heat. The Heat coming into this game, 3-0 in the series and looking like taking a clean sweep over the number one seed from the Bucks. And it was looking like it as well with Giannis going down with an ankle injury and not returning for game four. But behind 36 points there from Chris Middleton, the Bucks did actually get their first win in the series. They're still down 3-1. Uh, but it is you know a, a nice little consolation there and maybe they can get some confidence going into game 5. The Lakers and the Rockets in game two there. Uh, the Lakers took out the second game and the series is now tied one all. On Tuesday, the Celtics had a ripper match against the Raptors and beat them considerably by 20 points, 111 to 89 to take the series 3-2 on track for a quarterfinal win there. And then that game that has just finished is the Clippers and the Nuggets. The Clippers going out, um, taking the win, 113 to 107, going up 2-1 in the series. So that series there, the, the, all the games today are probably going to be the closest ones out of the series. Um, it's looking like the Heat are going to comfortably beat the Bucks unless the Heat fall apart completely and then come back in it. Um, the Rockets and Lakers could be interesting, but if lebron and ad do keep healthy and keep their scoring going i think they'll win that comfortably so a lot of uh good matchups to look forward to and uh, we'll catch up again next week sin we're young people run the show
0: we are nearing the end of this wednesday's episode of the sports desk on sin but we have now got the grand prix update we had the italian grand prix over the weekend and there has been a Shock victory, it has not been Lewis Hamilton. Instead, Pierre Gasly has taken it out. We have got the audio of his win here from Sky Sports.
1: Pierre Gasly is in front for the Alpha AlphaTauri team that won here as Toro Rosso, and they are gonna win in 2020 as AlphaTauri. Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix. Oh my oh my,
0: is that just wonderful. Tom, do you want to take us through what happened?
1: Yes, what an incredible race here at Monza. Probably one of the best races I've ever seen in my life for Formula 1. It's been so dry over the last couple of years with the Mercedes, just so dominant. And they were nowhere to be seen. Bottas was just out of it from the first lap. He had a horrible start. And the Mercedes just aren't fast enough on the straights at the moment. And a track like Monza, where there's a lot of fast... um, fast straights that you have to overtake on the Mercedes just couldn't do it. So Bottas was just stuck in the middle of the pack there for the whole race. And yes, Hamilton was in the lead for around 20 laps of the race until Kevin Magnussen in his Haas car actually had a failure and he had to pull over to the side of the track right at the pit stop entryway, which meant that the track had to have red flags, which meant no car was allowed to um, go in the pit stop. But as the cars such as Hamilton was the one that got penalized for it. He came around the corner and went into the pit stop, even though he wasn't allowed to. So he went out, he was back in front of the pack, and he was given a 10-second time drive-through penalty, which means he has to go into his pit stop, sit in the pit lane for 10 seconds, and then he takes off and goes back into the race. So it was essentially a 30-second time penalty. And just before that happened as well, Charles Leclerc, after the safety car had ended from car, Kevin Magnussen's car, Charles Leclerc lost control of his car and essentially totaled the Ferrari and went into the barrier and there was a, another red flag. But this time, all cars had to come into the pit stop and the race was suspended until everything was cleaned up. Which meant because teams had pitted and it all changed and the, um, all, all the top cars had, had, to, had to have pit, pitted later because of the previous ban on pitting, they were all behind the lower cars that had already pitted, if that makes sense. So you had the Alfa Romeos, the Williams, the Haas cars, they were all in front because they had pitted previously because they're slower cars and they just pit earlier because they're not in the race. Um, so what that meant is the Alpha Tauri of Pierre Gasly ended up being first in, in first place when the race restarted because Hamilton had to do his 32nd time penalty. And because he was so far in front, he had no one in front of him. His car was good enough. He led for 20 or so laps of the race, ended up in first position. And then you had Carlos Sainz in the McLaren on his tail the whole time. If there was an extra lap here, it would have been taken, but ended up finishing second. Lance Stroll in the racing point and ending up in third spot. So very, very interesting race there. Very exciting for everyone to watch. Um, Not if you're a Mercedes fan, but even so, Hamilton, 10 laps to go in the race. It was, It's still last position. He ended up finishing seventh, so an incredible drive from him in the end. But it's just awesome to see Pierre Gasly on the podium, especially after last year when he was dropped from that Red Bull car. And to now beat both of the Red Bulls uh, and finish first on the podium is incredible for him. A
0: lot more exciting than a lot of the ones that we've had in the past few weeks. So that is a lot going on um, and very interesting to hear. The other probably good news is that Dan Ricardo beat home Hamilton as well. He finished in sixth.
1: Yes, uh, it was very unlucky for Ricardo because of the way that everyone pitted as well. If he had just pitted a lap earlier, he would have been one of the cars in front. And because he's so much faster than the McLaren and the Alpha Tauri's on the straight line, he might have actually caught them and ended up first. So it was just really unlucky with the pit stops And he just got caught behind the Mercedes, couldn't overtake it and ended up finishing um, sixth, I believe. So again, just very unlucky. He could have had an incredible race, could have potentially been on the podium. But again, the pit stops just killed everybody except for Pierre Gasly, apparently. So interesting to look out for next week as well.
0: Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days.
2: All right, now to our bizarre sport of the week. And to be honest, I think this is the most bizarre sport we've had on the show, in my opinion. This is called ferret legging. And basically, this sport involves a person dropping a ferret down their pants. Guys, what do you think of this sport?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if we can really call this one a sport. This is just an odd activity that they do in the UK apparently of course it's done in England like where else would you be doing it um essentially what you do is you tie the ankles of your trousers up so no one so the ferret can't go down the, the legs of your pants and then once the ferret is dropped in the top of your pants your belt is tied so the ferret can't then escape from the top and the winner of the event is the person that can last the longest essentially just a weird sport and we have like a photo of the ferrets up here they're adorable but when you look at their teeth and their claws, they're so sharp, I can I can't imagine the amount of marks and bite marks and bruises that these people have on their legs. And I think I read here as well that then just for good measure, no one's allowed to wear underwear either. Like who in their right mind wants to do this? Like that's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, this sport of oh I, we've done a few weird ones, but this one I just I just can't see any appeal to it. Um, I think the ferrets are cute and a sport involving ferrets is fine. But I mean, in some ways, I feel like this borders a little bit on animal cruelty. If I were a ferret, I wouldn't really want to be trapped inside someone's pants. Um, But yeah, look, this is one I'm definitely not going to be participating in.
1: And I'm just reading here. uh, When the first, the the sport, the sport (laughs) first started, it took um, several years for anyone to break the one minute barrier but currently uh the 70 year old um reg meller <laughs> M- Mella holds uh, holds the world record of five hours and 26 minutes what <laughs> like i'm thinking surely after like half an hour an hour the ferret just gets bored and you just got to get past that threshold but like that's a long time to have a ferret in your pants trying to escape, like, surely you'd just be losing chunks of skin and, like, flesh because the ferret's trying to crawl out, that's ridiculous.
2: No, I'm just looking at a photo of the ferret's teeth, there's, like, a close-up and their teeth are really, really sharp, so I can imagine a ferret who is, is, who is trapped in someone's trousers, who can't see, would be getting very angsty, so I imagine their teeth would definitely be gnawing into the skin of these persons. legs. Like, so I just wonder how safe it is for the, the people doing it as well. Can you imagine that you'd have a lot of nasty injuries from this, even like infection.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it, there's a bit that says the ferrets that compete, you're not allowed to file their teeth to make them less sharp as well. Um, so it's it's a rough sport. Yeah.
1: I think I saw as well that to keep it extra safe, the contestants have to be sober. You can't actually, you can't be drinking beforehand, rolling over and hurting the ferret. You have to be sober and you have to be in control of the whole time. So hopefully these ferrets are safe. I really hope so. I hope everyone's safe doing this, but it's definitely a sport. I think it's probably one of the only ones that we're not going to participate or try because it just does not sound appealing.
0: Well, we will be on next week's show, which is our last one together for this season. We will be going back through all the odd sports we've covered and picking out our favourite ones. So we'll probably do a poll on Facebook at some time through the week so you can let us know which ones you'd most like to try as well. And if there's anyone out there who just thinks ferret legging sounds great, we would love to hear why that is because it, it really doesn't sound that fun that brings us to the end of this episode of the Wednesday Sports Desk. Um, if you've missed any of today's show, you'll be able to catch up on Omni or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Um, make sure you check us out on social media at Sports Desk Sin on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I'm April, I've been joined with Tom and Kendra and the three of us will be back next Wednesday morning.